the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And uh, what a day we have as we're heading into the weekend. We've got a couple of great interviews. Ted Malik, our old friend, Dr. Ted Malik, will be with us. He'll talk about his new piece, Victims, Inc. Americans are becoming victims. They're making themselves into victims. They're being told they're victims. It's not It's not good. It's not a good way. Not a good way, not a good way to live. Not a good way to live. And we'll also talk with Kimberly Willingham Hubbard. A young professional uh, in politics communications who has written a great book, put together a great book, uh, Prayers for Children. We'll talk to her a light, light, little lighter interview later on the program as we head into the weekend. Now, what you need to know today. This is an important what you need to know. OK, the Biden speech, the Biden speech on Thursday night, um, if you watched it. It was, you know, kind of blah. He read it. It was long. It was dreary. It uh, seemed kind of dark to me. But as you've seen and you noticed, uh, and of course, it was right away Tucker Carlson seized on it, but so did the American people. And that was he basically said vaccinations for everybody. And then uh, you can have a Fourth of July party, but not too many people. And everyone's like, what? What? Wait, wait, what? We gone through all this. Uh, what's the deal? That's not even what I want to talk to you about, though. I, when you watch Joe Biden and when you learn details like uh, Jack Posobiec at, at Posobiec on Twitter reported that uh, Kamala Harris is receiving the the full presidential daily brief, uh, which is what the president gets. In other words, she's getting the same thing the president's getting as if she's a president waiting. Um, there, there was an, an article that was written that said that she's spending four to five hours with Joe Biden every day, you know, it's not hard to see or observe is a better way, not just see, but observe that they're positioning Kamala Harris to take over. Now, a lot of us said that. A lot of us said that in the campaign. They said, you know, we, a lot of us were saying, well, it doesn't look like he's going to be the president for very long. It doesn't seem like he's someone who really is, uh, is going to be, uh, the president and, and in charge of things. First of all, it doesn't seem like he's in charge of much. It seems like, uh, Susan Rice and others are in charge of it all. But, but that, I don't even judge that. To be honest, a big time CEO or a big time uh, politician, elected official who's in an executive position is going to have lots of key people that run most of what's happening. That's, not the important part. The important part is what we all thought was likely is going to come to pass now. You know, uh, it was trending on Twitter early on Friday, uh, Dementia Joe, and the left was going crazy saying this is so inappropriate. I can't believe you're doing this. People are saying this. It's so bad. They almost, do- well, not almost, they doth protest too much. So what do you think happens if Joe Biden is, I don't know, removed from office, or maybe he says at a certain point, I'm just not up for the job. I, I did it as long as I could. I think it's time for me to go. I don't think he'll do that. I don't think his wife will do that. So what happens? I actually, I wonder if we're headed towards a real difficult uh, transition. Somehow I doubt it. And I will remind you of something that's very important. Please remember this. I told you before, and it was the sort of source of my prediction about the pairing of Biden with Kamala Harris. I still thought they would lose, to be honest. I think they probably did if you count the votes correctly. 
But Kamala Harris was the second, had the second highest endorsements in the Democratic primary from what's called the superdelegates, the people with the inside role in politics, the ones that know what um, in the Democrat Party, know what is going on there, former office holders, their insiders, so-called superdelegates. So somehow, I don't know how that, that's, I don't know how exactly that's characterized, but I'm summarizing it pretty well. The first, the highest recipient of endorsements of these superdelegates of the Democrat Party was... Joe Biden. So the candidates who were the most um, most um, uh, liked, most liked, most accepted, most understood by the powers that be in the Democrat Party were those two. And they are one, two. And I got to say, I actually think if I was if I was being fair about it and I should be fair, it feels like the Democrats knew they couldn't get away with running somebody except uh, a milk toast, you know, Joe Biden, because anybody else would have caused the, the fringes, uh, excuse me, caused the, uh, the edges of the, of the Democrat Party that are still somewhat sane uh, to depart. You know, Joe Biden needed to be the kind of safe, calm, uh, non-Trump choice. And so that part was clever. But right behind him. Kamala Harris is not moderate. She's not um, likable. She's not particularly, um, at least on the presidential trail, she wasn't likable. She's not particularly creative. She looks a little petty. Uh, but I mean, again, I'm not a fan of hers, so I'm not exactly impartial. But she's going to be president pretty quick. Pretty quick. That's what it looks like. I don't think you can uh, doubt that for very long. I don't think you can wonder for very long. And when you see Joe Biden give a speech like that last night, when you hear these details, that, by the way, they're not details that are leaked. These are White House officials talking about uh, Kamala Harris getting the daily briefing, the presidential's da president's daily briefing, and spending four to five hours with the president, being in on every major decision. I think they used the, the phrase that she's learning uh, on the job. Well, learning for what? I guess she could be learning for vice president. And I suppose, you know, we, we have a system that actually expects the vice president to get into position. And, you know, that, that's the point of a vice president is if, if something happened to the president. But it sure looks like it's happening. Now, let me tell you one other thing. Today, I went up on Capitol Hill. I had a, received an identification card uh, to be able to go into the Capitol. I'm assisting with some policy issues. And so I went all the way inside. I was inside Fort Pelosi. It is weird. And here's the weird thing, really weird thing. Now, today is admitted. It was earlier today. It was earlier. It was, excuse me. It was on Friday. It was on Friday uh, mid-morning to mid-afternoon. So all the members and their staffs were already gone, most of them, because they finished votes on Friday, on Thursday. And so as I was walking around to come back to my office, um, I had a chance. I, I had to ask for directions to the exits because there's only a couple of exits and I wasn't familiar. And every time I'd stop to ask some of the National Guard for directions, other National Guard would come over to chat. And first, they were so bored. They were just so bored. They want to talk to anybody. And second... They were kind of tired of being there. And third, they were really nice. And at one point, I said, well, thanks for serving, guys. I don't think you uh, quite you know, bargained for this. And the guy said, oh, you know, we just signed up. We go where they tell us. I mean, it's great. It was great. They were Army Reserve from Pennsylvania, the ones I'm talking about right here. But then there were some other guys, I think, from Rhode Island. And uh, it was very, very impressive uh, to meet those men uh, and women. I guess there was a few women in the second place I talked to, but I talked to folks. But uh, more amazing to see all the levels and all the, 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 the um, fences and all the barbed wire and just crazy, 
really crazy to me, really a strange thing. So, and I don't think I was asking somebody in the Senate in the, in the House offices. I don't think there's any real move to change it. I don't think that they're going to change it for a long time. I believe that the images are what the left and the Democrats in power like, and they like the idea of uh, of the uh, of the sort of fear. Fear of the unknown, the fear of the unknown. And uh, oh, by the way, one more thing about the speech last night. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going through a bunch of my notes. Uh, Joe Biden said um, vaccinations will be available for everyone by May 1st. Does that mean everyone will get them on May 1st? I guess it doesn't, right? It means that more people will be getting. You can go and sign up by May 1st. You have to be able to sign up. I, If you can do it, I'll be impressed. I'm not sure I believe it, but if you can do it, I'll be impressed because then if you if people are able to take the vaccine in, in May uh, and take two weeks for the both doses, maybe three, we should be uh, pretty much in the clear by the middle of June, which is part of the reason why I saw all over Twitter and uh, Facebook and others that people were getting excited to uh, to go ahead and do uh, and go ahead and do the um, uh, their their um, ra- uh, Fourth of July events uh, and uh, and get excited about that. So it um, it's going to be interesting to see if those vaccines work. All right, uh, let me see. I got a couple more. Uh, oh, I did get a request from somebody. Um, had I have I seen um, the uh, Amanda Melius? Amanda Melius is the um, producer, the filmmaker. Have I seen the movie, The Plot Against the President, the documentary? Yes, I have. It's extraordinary and uh, written by Lee Smith, my friend Lee. Smith, a great guy, and Lee Smith is um, uh, has been on the program, but I'm excited to tell you, Amanda Milius is going to be on the show next week, and uh, she's really, really cool. She's very impressive, and she is making waves, so she's going to come on next week, and I will uh, I will talk more about that as we get closer, but I like her very much, and I'm excited to, that she would come on the show, so thank you to one of you who asked me about that, and it made me think to myself, I better go uh, follow up with Amanda Milius and see if I can get her on the show. The plot against the president is the documentary based on the book by lee smith uh very cool we'll talk with her next week uh one more thing oh yeah let me run through if you want to be in touch with me i'd very much appreciate it you can, you can track me down anytime uh day or night uh by texting me 314-256-1776 uh, you can also go ahead and um uh, email ed at phyllisschlafly.com ed at phyllisschlafly.com and of course all of my um, uh, all of my stuff is open direct messages uh, on Facebook uh, messaging all those things are available you can get me that way so thank you as always to the great Noah for his uh, awesome program uh, and keeping us together and Joanna for booking guests we'll be back next week it's Ed Martin have a great weekend everybody it's the Pro America Report see you next weekend <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Ted Malik, Dr. Ted Malik, who joins us now. And Ted, of course, is a prolific writer, and he's got a piece over at American Greatness. This is perfectly timed, Ted, because this is the whole, this seems like the whole culture is trapped by this. And the title is simply Victims, Inc. Victims, Inc. And this piece ran about five days ago, six days ago. But it's everything from the the uh, George Floyd trial to uh, the uh, you know the quote unquote insurrection. It's all everything's a victim and everything's a uh, the system is all about victimhood. And uh, Ted, so welcome back, Ted. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah, no, I I didn't realize that I was uh, so prescient <laughs> when I wrote this piece. But a lot has broken even on the uh, UK uh, monarchy side that has to do with victimhood. 
Yeah, and that's a great. That's the maybe that's the biggest uh, sort of PR disaster. Um, how did these two, you know, these two uh, people claim their victims? But uh, Ted, in the span of, uh, uh, and you know, we're talking with Ted Malik, and he's written books and uh, for decades now, and taught at the highest levels of university life and all. What's the phenomenon of Victims Inc.? Is this is this a uh, I mean, is this like what the Enlightenment somehow? Is everything self-referential that you just come around to think that everything isn't your way? You're a victim. I mean, we're because it's now a phenomenon. It's a kind of cultural, socio-cultural uh, phenomenon. So what is this? Yes, it, it has largely taken over the uh, the Western world, at least. Hood um, mentality, at least in, in psychological terms, allows people. And I think increasingly groups, so not just individuals, but groups of people that see themselves as struggling and lacking in self-confidence, you know, certainly without self-esteem, as a result of that, more and more angry and, in effect, failed. In other words, they don't succeed at life, they don't make it, they're too damaged to perform, and they want to take it out on everyone else, or they somehow want to get a reparation uh, in order to overcome uh, their condition. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and uh, Ted. Um, uh, the uh, there was actually in the recent COVID stimulus bill. There's reparations in that. Actually, they're paying African American farmers uh, 120 percent of the value of their losses. Uh, and if you're not an African American farmer, you won't get that. I mean, this is what I mean. There's no other way to describe it. But I, you did mention it. I want to. I don't want to slide by. What was your and Ted Malik, of course, has lived on both sides of the Atlantic, lived all over the world, but especially in London for many years. What are your, what are your observations on the royal family and the mess? Well, I think it's a very sad situation. It is certainly a family ordeal, though. In this case, you know, you know, it's taken a very public face. Um, they were uh, self-selected out. I mean, he's the spare; he's not the heir, and he married a B-rate actress. They live only in a $15 million mansion as opposed to the who did the interview who was down the street from them in a $90 million mansion, and they were paid $7.5 million to do the interview, so they had to come up with some dirt. Uh, but it has not gone over very well uh, in the U.K., and I don't mean just Piers Morgan. I mean the majority of people in the U.K. are just about sick and tired of them, and they'd like to see them stripped of their titles completely. Is it um, is it part of the is it a further example or is it part of the fact that um, that are, are people tired of the royal family? I mean, I hate to say it, but this is kind of all too human. You know, family fights and family feuds. Are people getting mm. sick of the of the family of the royal family in general? Well, I mean, a constitutional monarchy, you know, is uh, certainly on wane. Uh, there are other world, mostly in, in Western Europe, that have constitutional monarchs. The, you know, the British monarchy is probably the strongest, also the head of the Commonwealth nations. Uh, you could argue that it goes through peaks and valleys. Obviously, Queen Elizabeth has been, you know, queen a very long time and is very popular. Her son, who will take over shortly, I suppose, as soon as she fails, uh, is less popular than she is. His son is much more popular than um, Prince Charles. So, you know, it have this kind of seesaw effect who's in power. I mean, will the UK ever jettison uh, its monarchy and become a republic? Well, from an American point of view, we had a revolutionary war about that. I don't think they're about to do that. We're talking with Ted Malik again, and his uh, piece is called Victims, Inc. 
in the uh, in the Amer- on American Greatness uh, writes all over the place. Uh, what about the victim uh, victims uh, Inc. in terms of politics? I mean, is it um, you know are, are it frankly they're pretty darn effective at the uh, at the victim uh, victim um, the use of victims to get things done? Um, you know, in, in a way, the pandemic has been one big sort of scare uh, effort and made uh, made people crazy. Is um, how do we break out of it? I know your piece describes a lot of the problems. What's yeah. the what's let the me, way let forward? It, let me help bit of thinking and writing on this subject. And there are a number of self-help books actually going back generations that have outlined what I call 10-step kinds of programs or processes to end uh, victimhood. Uh, So what do they generally suggest? Let me just go through this list quickly. First, stop blaming other people. Blame gets you nowhere. Second, be compassionate. Focus on others, not just yourself. Be generous. Third, practice gratitude. All the world's Revolve around this notion of thankfulness. Uh, I would say resist uh, self-sabotage, hating yourself or some perceived enemy as a drag. Just perform acts of kindness. I mean, we see this uh, in this notion of paying it forward. Uh, you know, basically infusing your existence with meaning. Six, and this is very difficult uh, for Christians who are told to do this. Uh, it's very difficult. Forgive other people. Forgiveness. Mm, Seven, right. build self-confidence. Eighth, find the source of helplessness that you experience and unlearn it. And ninth, and this is very important, to a survivor mentality. You be healthy. If you want longevity, you need to become more resilient. I say persevere in order to endure. And finally, challenge your perception of reality. I mean, this is a deep thought. See the big picture and all of its richness, all of its complexity, and there's plenty of good, plenty of badness, and even a little bit of ugly. So if, I think if you do those things, you can actually get away from this exclusive focus on grievance, which is very facilitating, and you can more and more uh, move to an attitude that will help you uh, along a different trajectory, get you out of despair, out of spitefulness, and into well-being. So, no, Ted, I, mean, uh, I, I could be like Dr. Phil now, you see. <laughs> so and we're talking with Ted Malik. Yeah, you are Dr. Dr. Ted. Um, but uh, on this one, let me let me give you one example of how it doesn't matter what's good for us. Our policymakers are doing what they're doing in the covid stimulus bill. The so-called stimulus bill <laughs> is one hundred and twenty billion dollar straight payment, straight welfare with none of the, what we learned in the last 30 years is that if you do welfare, you better have a provision that pushes people towards work or they get stuck as Ronald Reagan described so famously as welfare queens. You know, the system is just, it, it really, it really is demeaning to people. Well, the Democrats just passed a $120 billion program, a one-year program, just direct payments, none of the welfare to work provisions. I guess my point is, whole segments of the population actually are victimized by these policies. They are put into a class that holds them down, uh, but maybe I, it's not recognized, I guess. It's not understood or or they don't care. And, and you know, um, we're, we're not um, next week. They're going to take up the Violence Against Women Act. Nobody's against nobody's enough for violence. But the act goes so much further. I mean, it's like feminism mm-hmm. on Gone Wild. I mean, we we're, we constantly are being made victims of by the government. Yeah, no, I think victimization has been politicized. Uh, and I'm not saying there aren't real victims. I mean, people are harmed, have happened. 
Um, no, history is full of stories. I mean, I told one story about my own family in Scotland that, you know, lost its surname and couldn't use it for 100 years. Well, you know, we were victimized, but you have to get over that. You have to get on. You can't, you can't get stuck in a place. I'm afraid today what we have is one political party that's based on the politicization of victimhood. And they're more and more trying to create more and more victims so that they can either get or stay in power. Well, I think so. And I guess the question is, um, uh, is what comes next? Does the culture reject it? Do you hope? Do we just keep sliding into these hyphenated Americans? Everybody tries a way to be a victim. I mean, what I know you gave steps to sort of break out for people. But as a as a society, what, what, you know, is it a death spiral? Is it a death spiral? Well, it, it could become one if that's all that we know. We, you know, if we can't live in a civil society, if we have, a, you know, wokeism and cancel culture, then we will actually, I think, have the total fragmentation and breakdown of our American society. And for some people, you know, anarchists as well as far leftists, that's their intention. Right, right, exactly. They don't mind that. Yep. All right, Ted Malik, as always. Thanks, Ted. Right, he writes frequently at American Greatness. He's on frequently on the program. Thank you, Ted, as always. And we will check in next thank week you. again. That with yep. Thank you. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the. Pro-America Report, excuse me, I'm getting excited. And our next guest is a young author, Kim Young Mother, and a professional, Kimberly Willingham Hubbard. And I came across her because she was one of the senior staffers for our great friend, Congressman Louie Gohmert of Texas. And uh, and she sent me, a, uh, I guess, a direct message on Twitter a week or two ago and said she's now working for Attorney General Paxton uh, in Texas, uh, the Texas Attorney General, great guy who's been fighting for great causes. And by chance, I was in Texas, as my listeners know, Kimberly, and I saw Got a chance to meet and uh, spend a bunch of time with uh, Attorney General Paxton. He's a great guy and a very interesting leader and someone we need. So, uh, first of all, welcome, Kimberly, to the program, and thank you for coming on. And, and your book, which came out last year, but I wanted to highlight because I love the uh, leaders like you, the people who are in their top of their field and all, but who are uh, also spending time highlighting what's important. And the title of the book, which came out last year, is called Crowned in Promise, A Hundred Prayers for Your Children. So, first of all, welcome to the program. Second of all, what made you write that book? Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so this is actually a, a personal product of mine is um, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, and um, just my I was growing up, they used to pray every single night over me and my sister in our bedroom, um, hmm. just scripture promises. And so when mm-hmm. I had children, I knew I wanted to do the same thing for And I was scouring over the Internet trying to find a book that would help me do that with scripture verses interlaced in them. And I really couldn't find one that kind of had scripture in the middle of the prayers. So I thought, well, I'm just going to write my own book. And, you know, I thought once I had compiled all these prayers that if I want it so bad, then probably other parents, other Christian parents would want a resource like this as well. Well, it's it's funny you say that because I wondered when you said I was I should have set it up that you have two children. So you wanted that. But then again, people have children like me. I pray with my kids and over my kids, but I never wrote a book about it. So, I mean, that's another part of it, I guess, because you're a communications professional, too. Um, What's the biggest surprise when you went to write the book? Um, You had memories of your own childhood. You had memories. Now you had sort of creating memories of your children. When you started to put this put this together again, the book is called Crowned in Promise, 100 Prayers for Your Children. Kimberly Hubbard is 
is the author, uh, and also it's Fidelis uh, Books. If you go on anywhere, search for books. But what surprised you when you went to go do this? Um, I think it was a good refresher for me in like God's promises because. Um, you know, I, I think that this is helpful for children when you pray these promises over them, but also it's helpful for parents as well to um, really refresh yourself on like what God's word tells you. And so I find when I read these um, over, you know, my son at night, we read them nightly, like he looks forward to it now. He said, you know, I want to read mommy's book. Let's read the prayers. And so, you know, it, it reminds me constantly, this is what God has like promised over me too, not just my children, but like me, all of God's children. So I think that that was like the big shocker for me is something that I need to make more aware to myself. What's your, tell us your favorite, favorite prayer. My favorite prayer? I don't know if I have a favorite prayer. I mean, I love... I oh, love, come on. You got to have one. Come on. <laughs> I love praying like security and protection over my children, like as a mother. Like those are those are prayers that are important to me. So I love like praying those promises over them. So I would say kind of those are more of my the protection of God is more of uh, what I like the best. But I really like all the prayers. There's a hundred different ones in the book, you know, from joy to understanding to love. And there's different uh, sections that are broken up, like favor, chosen, and love, protection. You know, living in community. So um, you'll find, you know, a prayer, any, you know, a prayer in there that you can pray with your child. Uh, again, we're, we're talking with uh, the author, uh, Kimberly Hubbard, Kimberly Willingham Hubbard. I think I'll get it right. And uh, she, her book is called <laughs> Crowned in Promise. And uh, so um, the world is funny, isn't it? Um, especially you work in politics. You worked yeah. on Capitol Hill. You work for Ken Paxton. It doesn't exactly reward traditional motherhood in a lot of ways. I mean, in some circles it does, maybe more than we think. Uh, but how, how is, uh, have you had a, what, what's the response been? You said you wrote it and thought, well, other people want this. Tell me about some of the responses to what you did. Uh, the response has been very overwhelming. I mean, a lot of mothers who I've talked to of young children and older children um, have said, this has been awesome, you know, for our family. Like, we read these every night. Like, we've, you know, it, we've imparted this into our bedtime routine. And, you know, grandmothers even, you know, and grandfathers are saying, we're paying this over our grandchildren. Like, you know, we love to use this as a resource for that. I think that that's been the most eye-opening to me is because I wrote it for my young children, but it really can be used for adult children and grandchildren as well. Mm-hmm. It's and um, the um, uh, you among your peers. Is, I know you went to Baylor University. I should say that and uh, go Bears. And the uh, and and the uh, among your peers, though, uh, it's not. I don't think it's natural. I mean, you're 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 in your twenties. It's not as common to have people recognize the desire or need to pray pray over over your children. For example, have you found that some of your friends and others that you know in politics or others are like, huh? I never did. My parents didn't do that with me, but I'm doing that, or I want to know more about it. I mean. It's kind of an interesting almost uh, evangelization tool. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I really have. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's a great gift for, you know, new moms, you know, maybe a new mom that's not a Christian or something like that. You can take it to a baby shower and just say like, hey, this is a prayer book that, you know, I want to give you as a baby gift. And maybe if they weren't, you know, aware of that or their parents didn't do that, that, you know, they could, you know, think, hey, like, this is awesome. Like, I love to impart this, you know, to my child. So, um, yeah, I haven't received a response like that. And it's been, you know, encouraging. And I really... You know, it really wasn't for myself writing these. I really wanted other Christian parents to have this tool. Okay. 
All right, now let's switch over to politics. I can't resist because we cover so many topics. So now you're you're a communications professional. You work for Louis Gohmert. Now you're with uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton. Um, what's yeah. the you know? And now, and now social media is the is the you know is a dominant factor, or at least the speed of social media, if not social media. What? How do you bring? Um, what, what's your biggest challenges you fi- you're finding right now? How do you, especially Ken Paxton? Well, Louis Gohmert too. These are guys that have uh, no. Um, they're not shy about uh, getting into a, a fight and get into the fray and. It, it's it's um pretty intense and pretty um pretty wild how how are you how do you navigate it how do you feel about it what's the what's your what do you see for the challenges uh, are the challenges in in the near future well you know social media is a I don't know. It's a different beast. Um, you know, I think it's disheartening to me to go every day to like, you know, check the things that people say, you know, to people in positions like this. I think as a Christian, like that's, that's disheartening to me because I would never get behind the keyboard and say, you know, awful things. So, you know, that's, you know, as a Christian woman, I, I pray over that situation because I think that we're all, um, you know, we're all children of the living God. And I just, you know, I pray over that situation and I just hope that, um, you know, people like Ken Paxton and Louis Gohmert will continue to shine their light and spread their truth. Um, and, you know, that's, that's all I really need to say about the social media situation. I, I, I don't really like social media that much, honestly. <laughs> well, you know, as, I, as someone said, uh, someone said about this uh, subject. Um, uh, uh, we were talking about it, and, and he said to me, um, someone said terribly something terribly nasty about him. This is a friend of mine, and and when he replied back to the guy, the guy said, "Oh my gosh, you actually read these tweets? Like, I, you know, I didn't. I thought I just write into the ether sphere, and no one would read it." And, and you know, he said, "Oh," and he apologized. So he apologized for being mean and nasty because he didn't know the guy would actually read it. The person would actually see it. That's one part of it that somehow in impersonal is what's happening so you don't actually think there's a human being on the on the other side of the at true, Eagle Ed true. Martin you know a t- Twitter name but now back to the uh, now back to the Texas give me your observations on Texas after the uh, cold snap I mean again as, a, as a, I think were, were you on board yet or just onboarding with uh, with the Attorney General it's not really the Attorney General's yeah. job to make sure the power stays on but it certainly was a huge challenge for Texas which means it's a huge challenge for anybody in office that was a you know bad situation i really can't speak to you know my feelings on that matter but um you know i felt bad for the people involved and um you know there was a lot of people without power like my, my mom was one of them you know i just um i feel bad for the people who uh suffered and their houses were ruined you know i i'm glad that you know texas was looking into that matter and to see what happened and you know speak to anything on my side of things um with anything with that mm-hmm all right. Well, listen, Kimberly Willingham Hubbard, thank you for uh, being out in the fray, working for good guys. We love Louis Gohmert and uh, we love Ken Paxton, the Attorney General of Texas. And her book uh, is called Crowned in Promise, 100 Prayers for Your Children and written as a mother for her children. And then, as she mentioned, uh, lots of families can use it. It might be a good gift for people as we come up upon Easter and uh, Mother's and Fa- Mother's Day and Father's Day. We'll see. So thanks very much, Kimberly. Thanks for the time. Thank you. I thank you for highlighting my book. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to do it, and I'll make sure we'll put up on social media all the details. Fidelis Press is the press uh, uh, publisher, and I thought some great um, some great recommendations. I think David Limbaugh had one, which is great. David Limbaugh is one of the people don't realize because they know Rush. Uh, David Limbaugh is one of the great writers on uh, on apologetics and Christianity. Really good guy. So, uh, all right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. 
and we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When I was writing my book, Top 100 Trump Promises Made, Promises Kept, there's a reason I chose to make America's energy independence the first promise I discussed. Achieving energy independence for the first time since 1957 was a colossal win for the American people delivered by President Trump. Finally, we were no longer held hostage by dictators in the Persian Gulf. America has all the natural resources we need to produce our own energy. But President Biden wants no part of that. He showed his contempt for energy independence by signing a series of executive orders targeting America's energy sector. He ordered an immediate halt to all new drilling permits, oil leases, and natural gas leases on all federal lands. Obviously, this will have a huge effect on those who work in oil and gas as well as their families. However, the effects go much further than that. For one thing, consider the towns that rely on oilers to bring economic life into their communities. When the oil leases dry up, the communities relying on them are not far behind. Even if you don't live in an oil town, you'll still suffer from President Biden's foolish actions. I'm sure you've enjoyed the way gas prices were last year as much as I did. President Trump said that they felt like another round of tax cuts. Now that Biden put America back under the thumb of foreign oil, gas prices will only go up in the coming months. These increased prices will be a regressive tax on the people least able to afford it. Amid all this pain and loss, I'm reminded of the Latin phrase, cui bono, which means who benefits. Why would President Biden willingly destroy so many lives and livelihoods while making life harder for America's poor? In short, he does it because he hopes you're too dense to see it happening. He thinks that if he can hide behind environmentalism and expensive renewable energy, you'll not connect the dots when the price of gas creeps higher and higher at your neighborhood gas station. Don't fall for his power play. Americans need energy independence. Biden's executive orders make that a thing of the past. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's talk about election integrity. Let's talk about election integrity. Let's talk about a new initiative that is coming from uh, Ken Cuccinelli. Ken Cuccinelli is one of the good guys. He was uh, served in the uh, Trump administration. And so Ken Cuccinelli announced a few weeks ago an election transparency initiative. This is good news. This is good news because it means people are fighting for the right thing. So Ken Cuccinelli, he's paired up with a couple of organizations. And they're going to go out. And now I love this and I think it's important, but I want to caution you. Okay. I w- and I want to, I want to lay this out for you because it's very important in order to protect elections going forward. We have to get to the bottom of what really happened in 2020. 
Okay, so while while I'm excited about Ken Cuccinelli's effort and I see what he's doing, the first thing that they described is they're going to go out and help push to stop H.R. 1, the Nancy Pelosi takeover of elections, and try to take it over. That's good. I'm for stopping that, but it's not enough. Why isn't it enough? Because it's a little bit. Have you heard people say this phrase? Politics is downstream from culture. And what they mean by that is if the culture goes south on issues like, I don't know, let's pick a lot of topics uh, on the life issue, on parental rights, on our putting our kids at the center instead of a social justice agenda, on the military. If you're if the culture goes soft on uh, masculinity and goes soft on allows feminism run wild, suddenly your your military turns out to be black. Uh, it's not a surprise. Culture is upstream from politics. Well, let me say in this election transparency initiatives is downstream. Let me did I say yeah, culture is upstream from politics. Well, let me say this. Uh, transparency initiatives, election reform is far downstream from what really happened. Let me say it more in echoing it. You have to get to what really happened in order to go downstream and get reforms. And there's two reasons why. One is because if you don't really know what happened in 2020, you don't really know what to fix. And two, you cannot motivate politicians to do the right thing unless you put them in the position where they see how it benefits them. Let me say that more crassly. No politician in office is going to worry about reforming the election system if he or she just won under it, which is what happened to almost all of the elected officials. So I was down in Texas, actually, and Congressman Pete Sessions, who's an old friend of mine, Congressman Sessions was in 2018. He lost his race for Congress because it looks like and at the time he came to see it as it was a real theft. They had gone in and done really hinky things and nobody would help him look for it. It turns out that a year and a half later, he ran for Congress again and won actually in his home district, which is over in Waco, where he's born and raised. But he is a reformer because he saw clearly that it cost him his race. Most of the men and women on the ballot in the fall, they won their race. So when they see, in fact, a lot of Republicans won that weren't expected to win. So when someone says, well, the system was rigged, they say, "Ah, I don't really want to believe it was rigged. I just won under it. So back to my point. While I'm excited about Ken Cuccinelli and others getting into the fray, I'm proud that they're not afraid enough that they, I mean, they're not, they're not too afraid that they have enough courage that they will talk about it. All very good, all very positive, all very important. But my clarion call to you all is to understand that you still must be demanding and we must be working at getting to the bottom of what really happened in 2020. Because it's not so much that we can change the election. I don't argue for that. You know, the Constitution brought us uh, safely into a new administration and the administration is destroying the country. But what I'm more importantly talking about is if we don't get to the bottom, if we don't get to what really happened and cut through all the nonsense from the media, the fake news and big tech, big tech and big media is how I say it now, along with big government is trying to force us to not believe that there was anything wrong. And now that I've seen, I've probably seen 25 different serious efforts to get to the bottom of things. And some of them look a little hinky. I say, I don't know if I believe that. But many of them look serious. And all of them will lead us to real reform, real transparency, and a real possibility of running good elections again. 
Because it's not just about, say, let's do a photo ID. That's not enough. And let me say it clearly. If you don't, also, one, one last thing. Oh, this is very important. I was in Texas. I met with a very sharp lawyer. I won't say his name because he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't let me, he didn't tell me I could share this. And I, I, but I will steal his, uh, his teaching. His, what he said to me was part of the reason we got to get to, he, well, first of all, he agreed with me. He said, I agree. We got to get to the bottom of what really happened. And he said, but part of the reason to do that is so that there will be factual factual predicates upon which legislators could rely for reform. Meaning, if there's a court challenge in a year to the photo ID requirement in Missouri or Texas or or uh, Nevada, when they go into court, they can point to factual predicates and say, over here, we saw undisputed evidence. And not By the way, it's not a court of law. That's the throwback from the media, from fake news, big news and big tech and the big government say, oh, no court of law has done it. Now, forget about court of law. We're not talk- talking only about court of law. Voter confidence in our system is not only about courts of law. So when you go in Arizona or Nevada or wherever it is where they go into court and they say, strike down this photo ID, strike down the requirements of vote in person, strike down this and that. And one of the things that the left will rely on and judges will grasp on if there's no predicates, no details that, that you can hang your hat on. You know, we should be able to enact reform just because we want to. But it's not the way it works, especially because the left controls the powers, the levers of power often, and, the, and too often judges are scared. So we need to do that. So there's lots of reasons to be excited about the Ken Cuccinelli effort and other efforts, but there's also reasons to pause and say, huh, what do we really need? What do we really need to move forward? And I got to tell you, what I know more and more is what we really need is to uh, get to the bottom of what really happened, of what really happened. And uh, that's what we need. And then we got to get to the bottom of that. So, all right, everybody, thank you. Uh, By the way, at the beginning of the wink earlier, I got myself confused and I mentioned that to have a great weekend. But now's the time where I say thank you to Noah, our great technical director. Thank you to Joanna and have a great weekend, everybody. We will be back next week. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.